Audible on their website to buy a audio book, and they have a feature in there that you can listen to a part of it. You know, you here's the book. If you want to hear the reader and maybe the first 10 pages or chapter, you just click on here and you can sit right there and see what you're about to get. If you buy that book, this is what you're going to get. This is sort of like that. We're having on Wednesday nights Bible studies down here, and we're going through the book of Genesis. And I'm going to give you a little bite of what we're doing on a routine basis on Wednesday nights down here, and hopefully it will whet your, whet your appetite and you would say, hey, I think maybe I'll come down here and tune in on that and get a little bit more of that. So where would you think we would be today for our text? If we're in the book of Genesis and we're going to look at the first recorded claim, it's on the screen right up there in the front of us here. It's Genesis 1, and we're going to start with verse 1. But you know that verse 1 is not the description of the entire day. It's just the first part of the first day. We're going to look at the whole day. If we have enough time, and it's going to have to be brief, so you're just going to have to follow along. But I would like to whet your appetite to what is available to you in the Word of God because it's really easy to read through the Bible and not grasp what you're getting. I mean, you're just uh, thinking, well, I understand that, when maybe a little deeper look would make you realize that there's a lot more to it than first meets the eye. So the first recorded claim of God is in the first verse of the book of God, which is the Holy Bible. And the claim says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A pretty short statement, very straightforward statement, but a statement that is just pregnant with ideas and meaning. So let's just take this and unpack. You know, we talk about expository preaching and expository preaching is exposing what is there. If I say, in my left pocket, I have some eye drops here, I should be able to pull them out, and you can look and see, there they are. He said they were there, and he pulled them out, and he, I see it. He was telling the truth. If we say this is in the Bible, yes. we ought to be able to look in the Bible, and there it is in the Bible. So we're looking at God's first recorded claim, which says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's talk about the beginning for a moment because that is a very debated idea, very debated subject. Many people think this is the beginning of God. Do not somehow falsely imagine that God started on, in, on day one, our Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. God was here before. He's the eternal God. He is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. He had neither father nor mother, beginning of days nor end of days. That's what the Bible says about the God of the Bible. You say, well, what was God doing before Genesis 1 and 1, before he created the heaven and the earth? We don't know all about what God was doing before then. It doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us. And eternity is a long time. But we know this, that God already had in play or in place the plan of eternal redemption before he started the whole world with Adam and Eve and the things that were before Adam and Eve. So God was out there in eternity past, and he already had the known, as God knows the past and the future and all in between, nothing ever surprises him. God knew that when he made Adam and Eve, they would do exactly what they did in the Garden of Eden. They would sin against him, and they would fall into condemnation, and they would be unable to save themselves, to redeem themselves, to forgive themselves, so before he made Adam and Eve, he made a plan, put it in place, 
that he would send his only begotten son at some point in time into the world to take man's sin on his own body and go willfully to the cross and pay with his own blood for the sins of Adam and Eve and all of Adam and Eve's sons. God had that. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Talks at great length about the plan of God, that God knows all things, and he had this plan of salvation, eternal redemption. There are people who capitalize on things and try to make something out of something that's not. That's eisegesis. That's reading into passages. And they do this with Ephesians chapter 1, where it talks about the foreknowledge of God and the foreordination of God, and try to imagine that somehow back there, before he created the heaven and the earth, God already had decided on every choice that would ever be made. Certainly the choice of salvation. They say that God decided back there who would, who would believe and who would not believe. That he ordained some for salvation, for eternal life. He ordained some ahead of time for eternal damnation. Just for the simple purpose of roasting them forever in the lake of fire with no choice of their own. And the argument behind that is that if God ever allowed anybody to make a choice about anything, he would no longer be sovereign. And that God is sovereign, and therefore you see names like Sovereign Grace Church and Providence Church and things like that. This generally means they have the idea that God is sovereign. He made all the choices, including all the choices about who would be saved and who would be lost. And some are just going through, everybody's just going through the motions, just to a, like a pantomime, and just doing what they had no choice. They think they have a choice. They don't really have a choice. And generally, they get a little shakier, those who embrace that, when it gets down to day-to-day -day choices. Like, well, you're sick today, and you want some prayer for you. Well, why should I pray for you? Because God already made the choices, and if you're going to be sick, you're going to be sick, and my praying won't make any difference. Well, I'm not, yeah, you can't have your cookie and eat it too. You take the whole ball or you don't take any of the ball. The reality is God made a decision, choice, before the foundation of the world that he would send his son to take the sins of sinners and die in their place on the cross, offering eternal redemption to whosoever will, who would believe, whoever would trust him as personal savior. He doesn't decide, he didn't decide who would believe and who wouldn't. That's decided by the individual like you and me down here in time. But God knew, but because God knew didn't mean he does it, didn't mean he made the choice. God knows all things. Yes, I know some things I don't make happen, and I can just illustrate that real easily. I know that tomorrow the sun is going to rise in the morning out of the east over here, not out of the south or the north. Or the, it's going to come right out of the east over here. It's going to rise up, and it's going to get daylight around here. And then a few hours later, it's going to go down into wet. I know that. You say, well, there'll be a time when it won't come. It's not tomorrow. That time will be when there'll be no more sun and the moon. But that's a long way off. Before. I know from the authority of God's word, the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Anybody in his right mind knows that I don't make the sun rise tomorrow. Right. <laughs> I could die today and the sun will still rise tomorrow. It's a reality that... You know some things are going to happen. Don't mean you make those things happen. And that is the way of God. He knows what's going to happen, but he still gives us choice and allows us to decide. And on the most important matter of all, it's on eternal life. Whether we're saved or not, God lets us choose whether we'll trust Christ as Savior or whether we reject him as Savior. And nobody's going to be able to pin a tail's donkey on, uh, donkey's tail on God and say, God, you did it. It's your fault. No, sir, everybody has an equal choice to trust Christ in a part of time 
And all of those are called in Christ. They're the chosen of God. They're going to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. So in the beginning doesn't mean God started in the beginning because he always was. He started the heavens and the earth. There's a compatible and a, com a companion passage in John, in the first chapter of John, where it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and goes on to say that without Him, that is Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, without Him, there was nothing made that was made. He was in the beginning, was the Word. He was in the beginning of time, and space, and matter. And by the way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. What does that mean? That means God started time. He started the clock. Before then, there was nothing but eternity past, infinity, infinity. And after there's no more time, there'll be infinity. And while there is time, there's still infinity going on. Yes. I don't grasp some things of that sort. Like, for example, I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine an infinite number. That is a number that is, is, it, uh, is the biggest number there can be. I can't imagine a number so big there can't be a bigger number. I could always add one to any number anybody would have, and I got a bigger number. I could always double the number that anybody might have by itself, and we'd have a much bigger number. And I could do that again. One, two, three, four. There's no end to those numbers out there. And minus one, minus two, minus three, there's no end to those numbers back there. And in between one and two is one half and one fourth and one eighth and one sixteenth and one uh, thirty seconds and sixty fourth. I, I tell you, I know there's an infinity between every number. You say, can you prove that? No, I cannot prove that. And nobody here can prove that. And nobody at the University of Texas can prove that. Nobody in the, in the science department anywhere can prove that. But we accept that. And they tell us, you guys are people of faith. And we're people of science. Well, it's not science to believe in infinity. It's something you cannot demonstrate and you cannot prove. Because it has to be demonstrable and provable to be a scientific fact. So the reality is, God says, he's always been. He's eternal. And he didn't start, therefore, in Genesis 1 and 1. What he did do is start the clock. One day, two days, and then until there will be no more days. One of these days, and we'll talk about that a bit at the end here. But the reality is God started time, and we're in time. And time, old father time, we call him sometimes, is taking his toll on all of us. I was talking to Will over here a while ago, and he says, well, I'm, I'm feeling time. His boy, Will Jr., walked by here, and he said he's getting pretty big. Yeah, time's not stopping, even for young people like Will Jr. here, or Will, is he Jr. or just Will? He just Will. So I'm talking about time, and that this is when it started. Right back here, Genesis 1 and 1, that's the declaration of God. He said, in the beginning, beginning what? Time. But he didn't just start time. In the beginning, God created the heavens. That's space. That's all this space out here. That's this immediate space. That's this far out space. One day, Abraham walked out of his tent. God called him outside, and it was night, actually, and not just the daytime, but at nighttime. And he said, Abraham, come out here and look up into the heavens and look at these stars and see if you can count them. And if you can count the stars, you can count the people that are going to come out of your loins are going to be out of you. You're going to, this is, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens. Abraham went outside, 
One, two. Have you ever tried to count the stars? <laughs> Even in Houston, where you can see maybe five or six because of the smog. I'm telling you, you can't hardly count the stars. I remember old C.W. McCall singing a song about a guy up in, uh, in uh, Green River Basin, and they were camping out way back in the wilderness out there. And this guy was on a vacation from New York, and they were in the middle of the night, and the guy looked up in the night, and he said, look up there, everybody. Look at all of that smog up there. And old McCall said, that's not smog, that's the Milky Way. Have you ever looked at the Milky Way with a pair of binoculars? It'll blow you away. You think you see all the stars, and you look with even a good pair of binoculars in the Milky Way, and <laughs> I didn't see all of those before. And you take a radio telescope, and they can see even more than that. And now they send radio telescopes out on uh, space vehicles and keep photographing and photographing, and they haven't caught up with the end of space out there yet. Somewhere out there, there may be, I don't know where it is, but I know that God created not only time, but he created space, and he created the earth. He created the heavens and the earth. Earth. What a statement. This is talking about material things. This is talking about what we would call like matter. Here's some matter here. Here's something that has substance to it. Talking about the periodic table. In science class, they call it the periodic table. It has all those elements, you know, the different elements. And, and everything that is in our natural or material universe is in one way or another composed of, made up of, the periodic table. All of those natural atoms, elements down in that periodic table. And God just spoke that into being. God made the entire, isn't it amazing that he made the right stuff? And he just made it into, into an instant being. In the beginning, God created all there is in the natural world. There's a spiritual world outside of the natural world. We're talking here about what God created on day one, and this is his first affirmative claim here, that God created the heavens and the earth, time, space, and matter. And it's noteworthy, the accuracy of the word of God. He created them simultaneously. You cannot have time without matter and space. You cannot have space without time and matter. You cannot have matter without space and time. So I'm talking about the reality of all having to coexist, be there. It's not like you can say, well, I'm going to first of all create the clock, start the clock, and then a little later I'm going to create uh, uh, the space out here, and then a little later I'm going to add some matter to it. It doesn't work that way. I'm standing here behind a fair good-sized pulpit, and you can look at it and see that it has height to it, it has width to it, and it has some depth to it. It has three dimensions. If I take away the height of this pulpit, I don't have to take away the width and the depth because it already goes. Either or the other. You have to have all three dimensions to have it at all. God knows, and all our scientists really know, that are astute at all in this, that you have to have time, space, and matter all at once, not independently existing somehow. And isn't it wonderful how that in the first claim, he says that, he spells that out right off in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth all at one time. And here is, as I pointed out, some of you know this better than probably me, uh, the biggest and the best argument of God right off the bat. I think it's noteworthy that God never has anywhere written down a book, even a whole page of uh, reasons, like 50 reasons why I'm here. I want to prove to you that I'm God. I'm going to tell you reason number one, reason number two. 
That doesn't exist. No. God just says in the beginning, I created heaven and the earth. God seems to have the idea that if you have enough sense to see an earth, you know it took an earth maker. Amen. Somebody made it. It didn't just happen. And we call this in our theology world the watchmaker argument. It's a teleological argument. And I just illustrate again with this little watch that I'm holding on my hand here. I pull this watch off and I look at it and you look at it too. And I don't have to go into this explanation to tell you that somebody made this watch. You know it. I mean, just common, ordinary sense tells you somebody made this watch. It didn't just happen. It was not a rock on the beach at Galveston 400,000 years ago or 2 million years ago, and it evolved itself upward and eventually got a crystal and got some gold on it, got an adjustable band, got some uh, hands here that can be turned and changed and time can be set on it. It has a little uh, a battery on the inside, and you put it on, and you can tell what time of the day it is. You can tell what time of the month it is, what day of the month. It's got... You say, anybody with ordinary sense can tell. If there's a watch, it takes a watchmaker. That's the reason we call it a watchmaker argument. The existence of a watch demands a watchmaker. And if the existence of a watch demands a watchmaker, the existence of a drop of blood demands a blood maker. And I'll tell you what I could do, and I'm not. I could take a pen or a little knife and punch it right there, and little red stuff would come right out. And you know what it is, it's blood. And I will tell you, this watch is a pretty complex little gadget. But this watch can't hold a light in the dark to the complexity of that one drop of blood. From which they can tell about you all kinds of things about you, your pressure, kind of things, just amazing. And this is not living. This is just inorganic material. And that drop of blood is living material. If it took a watchmaker and everybody can see it to make a watch i tell you it took a blood maker to make a drop of blood and it took a thumb maker to make a thumb and this is not such an easy diagnosed gadget right here just that thumb you cut it off and you see how well you do i'm talking you need it and it's nothing to compare with your brain and if just you are a testimonial that somebody made of you how much more so when we look around the world and we see all the animals and all the plants we see all the things that exist and realize these systems like periodic table materials like chloride and sodium. Put them together and they make salt, table salt. You can taste it. And all these things exist. And somebody tells you these just accidentally happen. This is all a cosmic accident. That just doesn't make sense. And God knows it doesn't make sense. So therefore he doesn't spend 50 pages or 50 reasons telling you why he's here. He just says, I'm here. I create heaven and the earth. Look around you and see what you see. And it's testimonial of intelligent design. Somebody had to make it. Somebody had to bring you into being and you to, for you to be what you are. I could stop here. <laughs> And maybe I ought to, but i got to say a little bit more, because I want to talk a little bit more about the first day here. Uh, in the beginning, God, God, Elohim is the Greek, or the Hebrew word here. L-O-E-L-O-H, and then I am. A suffix, that is the ending here, is a plural suffix. I am, I am, at the end of a Hebrew word, pluralizes it. Yet here at the beginning, you have... This 
E-L-O-H, Elo, is a singular prefix with a plural suffix. You say, in grammar class, that can't be. It is here in God's grammar class. What's the idea? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all there at the day of creation. It's not like Jesus, as Jehovah's Witnesses say, he came along later, he's just a kid of God. He was born to somebody out there, and he's one of the kids. No, no, no. God says, in the beginning of time, space, and matter, there was God the Father, there was God the Holy Spirit, and there was God the Son. And the book of, uh, of, of, of uh, John chapter 1 talks about the Son being there. <laughs> he was there at the beginning. The divine Logos, the Son, the God of heaven. He was there when? In the beginning. And nothing was made without him was, was made at all. And then the first chapter of Hebrews, especially in verse 10, is this great discussion of how God the Son and God the Spirit were there. Here it's all in the very first verse of the Bible. Right there in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning God created heavens and the earth. And the next verse says, and the earth was without form and void. And boy, hasn't that opened a can of Pandora's worms. I'm telling you, there are people who say, well, what God did to start was create the whole world and all the people that were in. It was a perfect place. And then something came along and it just blew it all up and it became a wasteland. That's why it was without form and void. That is real eisegesis. That's reading into, not this exegesis stuff where you bring out, I'm bringing out, here's the argument, here's the three things that started, all that stuff, just bringing it out and presenting it. But here's eisegesis that said, hey, God made all this world, and then uh, it was blown up, and it was without form and void, and therefore form and void is understood, it's assumed assumed and read in to mean that it was all just wasted, wasted away. It used to be good and it was all bad, blown up like a wasteland. No, it's not that at all. It's like God, it, common sense is enough to tell you a lot of stuff. You know, I'll just tell you to wake you up. Common sense is just stable thinking. Just know that. So just, uh, I want to tell you, common sense says that God made all the raw materials, you know, all this stuff in this periodic table, all this stuff, but he hadn't arranged it. It's like I'm going to build a house. I got all the materials here, but I just haven't constructed. I haven't put it in its proper place. I haven't made it, formed it like I want to form it here. So God formed it into place in time, but he had all the raw materials there. He's just waiting to form it, and he's going to tell about the, the forming of it in the next few verses. He goes on to tell some in that very first day, and then in the second day and the third day, on through the sixth day. So here's God explaining that I made first the raw materials and then I formed it into being and what it is. And I love that old uh, tale. It's, I think it's just, I know it's just a tale about the two scientists wanting to have a little contest with God. So they said, okay, God, uh, we're going to contest you. To, let's, let's build something here. And so uh, he said, okay, uh, let's do it. I'll do it. And so he said, you go first. And so they picked up their pails and their, their shovels and everything they needed. And they said, we're going to go out here and we're going to get some sand and some other stuff to make a, he said, oh, no, no, no. You're going to have to produce your own raw materials. <laughs> and that's what the next verse, that's what that verse is saying. Chapter one and verse one, in the beginning, God created and the Greek, or the, excuse me, the Hebrew verb there 
Create is B-A-R-A, bara, and it literally means to bring into existence that which had no prior existence. Uh, he didn't use some of those other words that mean to press or to form. He used the right word. This one means to bring into existence, and it never did be. It wasn't there before. He just brought it out of nothing. Ex nihilo, it's called in some other ways to say it. I mean, it's just a wonderful way to say God made his own raw materials. There was nothing out there, and all of a sudden, God made it to be. You say, well, how did he do such a thing? He did it with the power of his own voice. I want you to hear it out of the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter of Hebrews uh, and, and in the, uh, I believe it's about the third verse. Uh, just take a moment and see how the Bible explains how I did it. In verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. It didn't happen before. It wasn't there before. And all of a sudden, by his word, just spoke it into being. And there it was, just spoke it into being. In the beginning, God created. All of that, by the way, is in just verse 1. Except when we get to verse 2, it was without form and void. And you understand why it was. He just hadn't arranged it in the way he was going to. And then then the next verse, look at it. Just take a moment in the book of Genesis, and right here in in the very first uh, chapter, it was without form and void, and the spirit and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There was no light in the sense that we know. I know God is light, so wherever God was, there was light. But you know, there's black light. <laughs> I remember uh, being naive to that at one point, and I I went into a room where my nephew. Uh, Janie's little boy, he'd grown up. Anyway, he had a rock collection, and all these rocks he kept under his bed. And we went in there, and he had a black, he turned off the light in the room, and I couldn't see anything. I mean, just things I could see with the light like this incandescent light here. It was easy. And he turned off the light in the room, and I couldn't see the rocks. But then when he turned on the black light, all of a sudden, I thought, I need to get out of this room. I believe those are radiated rocks. I mean, I believe I'm going to get radiation poison in here in this room. So I scattered out of the room pretty quick. And I thought, you've been sleeping on top of that stuff for a long time, boy. You're in trouble. But there are different kinds of lights. There is what we call infrared light, incandescent light, and all these different uh, kinds of light. Long rays and short rays, lights, and, and, and some we can see. We see light, what we see, just in a little... just in a little narrow field or sphere of of what's out there, what's available out there. We just see a little bit. Uh, You, some of these uh, people that that, uh, do wildlife shows and shoot wildlife pictures, they can go out with a certain kind of light and they can shine it out there and they can see a coyote coming or they can see all kinds of different wildlife out there but the coyote can't because the coyote doesn't have the right setup in his eyes to see the light that we can see. And we couldn't see it if it wasn't for the particular equipment we have. So there are different kinds of light. And God said, let there be light. But we're going to get to that in a minute. In the beginning, look at the, look at the verse again. I was going to get back on track here. I kind of want to, don't want to pass it out. He said, God said, let there be light. And the, and the, spirit, and the face of the uh, darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved among the waters. And that's what I wanted to touch just briefly here. And I realize I'm going to really have to hurry. The Spirit of God, there's a certain 
Hebrew word which means like a shaking motion, a back and forth motion there. It means that things begin to shake. Because the earth was a form or the, the material, the raw material outside of time and space, the raw material was a watery mix. There's no indication that it was square, that it was round, that it was anything like it is today. It was just there. It was just out there. God just made it. But what he's about to do is put form to it. And so his spirit, by the way, the spirit was here in the creation, not just the Father and the Son, but the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. And as the spirit of God moved on the face of the deep, all of a sudden you have this shaking motion here and you have the earth and other planets out here, or at least other beings that might be around that hadn't been created much, but whatever's there, it begins to form into a sphere. And what are we on today? We're in a sphere. I'll tell you what you can do. You can take off right the way the sun rises in the morning. If you just keep going further enough, about 48,000 miles from there, you'll come up right over here. Go around this earth because it's a sphere. And this sphere came into being when God, Spirit, moved upon the face of the deep. And it's a, now it's a circular water. You say, well, what was it sitting on? What was it resting on? It had no resting. It's in, it's in space. It's in, in orbit, or so to speak. It's in limbo out here. It has no resting place. In fact, God asked that question to Job. He said, what are you so the world sitting on? If you're so smart, just tell me what it's sitting on. What's keeping it in place? Well, God had these physical forces that he started here when he did this movement of the Holy Spirit. And we have a sphere, and our world becomes a sphere, and it apparently begins to operate and rotate on, on this sphere. So in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. It was about form and void, darkness on the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. I didn't tell you in Genesis, in the, the first verse up there, that when he made the periodic table, the earth, that's where all those atoms are. They all have their own little operation. There seems little to see, but when you have atoms, you have atomic energy. And all you have to do, not so easy, but to do to unleash that energy is split the atom. You split the atom, what do you do? You have a big explosion like over Hiroshima. And so God created atomic energy. Right here on day one, it's right inherent in the idea. You can't have atoms without atomic energy. God created atomic energy here. Then he comes along, and he got this uh, moving motion, and we've got gravitational energy. All of a sudden, bodies formed, and it has certain laws that God put them into place himself where things are held together. You don't just fly out in space because you're held on here by gravity. Thank God for that. Praise God you don't have too much. Praise God you don't have too little. You don't just go flying out there. So God created the heaven and the earth, and he created atomic energy, and he created gravitational energy, and there was light. And I can't imagine, I just can't imagine what it was like when God took the switch, so to speak, and just turned on the light. You say, well, light, that brings up some questions. Well, it does bring up some questions because light travels at a certain speed. What is it, 5,280 feet a second or some long period? I mean, it's, it's a big, very, very fast speed. So we talk about light years. How many years terms of the speed of light would it take to, to how far would we get in outer space? So one year take you out there. Well, um, 
how did then God create the light? And he, if it takes so long here, how, how did it get way out there at the same time? Listen, if God can create man wholly alive and fully grown, he can create the light waves all intact. There's no problem that God can do that. We, we want to think in terms of God being who we are and doing just what we can do. But he can do far more than what we can do. And so God created light. He turned on the lights. And let's just take the next verse, verse uh, 3 here, uh, and, 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 and uh, verse 4. God saw the light that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness. He called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. I, I can't imagine a place where the context can make things better or clearer than it makes this particular point right here. Uh, there's this really big debate about how long is a day? How long were the creation days? And there are those, lots of those, and many of them call themselves Christians, who say, well, the day doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter, and I'm going to tell you that in just a moment. Say the day doesn't matter uh, because God can make a day be any length he wants it to be. And so they quote from the New Testament and say, uh, God, the day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So therefore, it could, they call this, this idea that one of these days, like day one that we're just talking about here, could have been a thousand years long. It could have been uh, a million years long. It's just a long period of time. They say that's already God meant to say when he said what he did in the Bible. Just a long period of time. That is, as I said, called the day-age theory. Just saying that any days could be any length. We can't say for sure. And then I mentioned already this gap theory, you know, like uh, from Genesis 1 1 and began God created heaven and earth, and the earth was out for it. And they say in that period of time, that's the gap when, when the earth that was perfect was all messed up. And then what starts in verse 2 is a recreation. Not a creation, but a recreation. So there's a big gap in here, and that gap could be. Uh, this is an effort by Christians to placate scientists and say we're educated enough that we buy into the uh, theory of Darwinian evolution. Well, let me tell you, the theory of Darwinian evolution and, and creation are not compatible. They're one's wrong and one's right. Amen. They cannot both be right. Absolutely got to be one right or wrong. But there are those who argue this. Well, God answered that question right off the front here on the first day. And the day he called light, and the night he called dark, or dark he called night. Talking about in one given day cycle, one rotation of the earth toward the, uh, around, when that happened, a dark period and a light period constitute one day. And the morning and the evening, the light period and the dark period were one day. Uh, that's pretty clear. It's stated, by the way, every one of these days, God used that same terminology. Well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty backward myself, but I can tell you that I know this, when it gets dark, and then it comes daylight, and it gets dark again, I've lived up one day of my life. It's a day. You say, how long is it? Well, it's 24 hours. It's not a, not a thousand years. It's not... And not any indefinable length of time. 
It's a definite period of time that's clear in the context of the first day. In the morning and the evening were the first day. And the second day was similar. The morning and evening were the second day on through the days of creation. And in fact, um, when Moses was around, God gave the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the good commandments he gave, not just suggestions, but the commandments, and God gave those. And he, and he brought up the Sabbath day. You know, it's that Saturday thing that Jesus had so much trouble with those guys that were always jumping on him about healing on the Sabbath, about doing something on the Sabbath. He brought that up. And they brought it up and said, you're messing up the Sabbath. You're not. Well, they knew. Let me tell you how those Pharisees in Jesus' day, and by the way, the people in Moses' day, they knew how long a Saturday Sabbath was. It was one 24-hour day. And it's noteworthy that in the 20th chapter of Exodus, God tied that Sabbath day, the regular Saturday Sabbath, and likened it to the days in which God created the world. He nailed it. I mean, God said it took six days, work days, and God rested on the seventh day, and God created it. So he took the the guesswork out of how long it took God to do it. You say, well, Brother Hudson, you're doing a lot of talking. I just don't seem like it's all that important. I've told the guys on Wednesday night, I want to tell all of you, again, whet your appetite hopefully to come. That it makes lots of difference. Yes. If you yes. cannot believe what God said in the first thing he said in the first day, first five verses of his book, you can't believe what God says about anything. It takes the integrity right out. You have to doubt everything. Maybe he meant that figuratively. Maybe he didn't mean what he said. Let me tell you, God is thoroughly capable of expressing himself. And when he says it, he means it. And when he nails it, he nails it right. And he is right. And by the way, we don't just believe the Bible because science or somebody along the trail has come along and demonstrated it to be right. We believe the Bible before science gets there. We believe that God created heaven and the earth before the scientific world ever came up with any of the things they have. I'm so glad you let me talk to you like I have today. So, Brother uh, Darren, would you come and close our service?